Hello and welcome to the Persons with Lived Experience podcast, inspiring stories for unprecedented times with Dixie and Zona. So I got really good at spotting by the way he walked up the driveway, what drug he had taken or if he was drunk, Um, you know, and really good at navigating that whole scenario. So my whole life, I very much, um, a lot of turmoil, a lot of trauma, um, in childhood, the cops were at my house often, um, especially with things going on with my uncle. Bring Freedom's live anti-trafficking inspiration event is coming up on November 18th and 19th. Sign up for the All for One Challenge today. You don't want to miss this. This podcast contains content that may be alarming to some listeners. Please check the show notes for more detailed descriptions and take precautions for yourself. Thank you. I'm Zona. I'm a writer, speaker, a person with lived experience of human trafficking and homelessness, a tiny house enthusiast, and a serial foodie. And I'm Dixie, and I'm all about joy, justice, and fair trade fashion, anti-trafficking advocate, mom of many, and passionate worshiper. Today we have our guest, Amanda. Amanda Foley has been has seven years of experience working in anti-trafficking. Uh, she herself is a survivor of human trafficking and began her career as an advocate for those that are still in the life. Um, through her work, she realized her passion is really for impacting people. And eventually, her work ethic, insights, presentation skills, and curriculum writing ability led to her desire to train human trafficking advocates in her methodology, moving the academic knowledge into practical application. Welcome, Amanda. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we are so excited to have you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. (laughs) Well, we would love to hear more about your story. Obviously, we see that there is some lived experience in there. Um, Just a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so uh, why don't you go ahead and and kind of share um, your experience? Yeah, so I grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania area um, and lived kind of this... I always explain it, especially when I have people in front of me, like a coin, you know, on one side, my life looked super perfect and like the, like I had a great childhood. Mm -hmm. Um, And on the other side of the coin was a very different story. Um, Mm -hmm. I experienced a lot of trauma growing up. Um, So I lived in a house where um, my mom was divorced. I had a very normal childhood if you looked at one side of the coin and things seemed to be very um, normal in the sense of, you know, I went to school, I was pretty much a straight A student, um, things just, I was involved in my church, um, things seemed pretty normal. Um, on the other hand, um, 
I was one of the only people that I know that I knew at the time who came from a divorced home. And in the religious community that I grew up in, it was very frowned upon to get divorced. Mm -hmm. And so, um, that kind of set me apart. And, you know, the people that I grew up around, it was like, they were scared to let their kids hang out with me. Like divorce was going to rub off on their kids somehow. Huh. And so that was a very interesting experience. And then on top of that, uh, my home life was pretty crazy. So my grandparents, I lived with them growing up. I lived with my grandparents, my mom and my sister and my grandparents had an open door policy. So anybody who was struggling with anything was invited to come stay at my house. Wow. So I would come home from school and my main questions would be, who's here? How long are they staying? And do I get to sleep in my own bed tonight? Um, there were multiple occasions where I would sleep in the closet um, just because it was a safer landing place for me overnight. Yeah, um, it was at moments much safer to sleep in the closet just because I didn't know who was there or who wasn't there. Um, and I also had an uncle with drug addiction who lived in our basement. So I got really good at spotting by the way he walked up the driveway, what drug he had taken or if he was drunk, wow. um, mm -hmm. you know, and really good at navigating that whole scenario. So my whole life, I very much, um, a lot of turmoil, a lot of trauma, um, in childhood, the cops were at my house often, um, especially with things going on with my uncle. Yeah. So, um, on top of all of that, um, my mom married a guy who was very abusive and so I moved out of that house for a little while into my mom's house with her second marriage and um, experienced a lot of domestic violence um, in the home. Um, saw the effects of my mom being beaten and almost killed um, and then experienced physical and sexual abuse from that man as well. Um, mm -hmm. and then on top of all of that, if that's not, you know, enough lived experience for you, mm -hmm. um, I also had an uncle who sexually abused me most of my childhood, mm -hmm. um, and very much under the guise of, um, you don't have a dad in your life and this is what dads would teach their little girls. Oh, and so, right. yeah, yeah, right. So, um, very much, you know, started out with traditional grooming, um, taking me out to do fun things. And I very quickly learned that those fun things came with a cost. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, in adult life, of course, that means having to relearn how to have fun, yeah. right? Because fun doesn't always come with a cost. But when you're tr um, trained that way as a child and conditioned to believe that, um, it sticks with you for a long mm -hmm. time. And so in middle school, I ended up reporting uh, what had happened to me with my uncle, went to court, um, had to go through the whole court experience. Um, law enforcement had me call my uncle and trick him into talking about it on the phone. Um, and then from there, um, it, 
moved into, you know, the traditional going to court, had to testify against him on the stand. Mm -hmm. And it was that in and of itself was traumatizing. Um, You know, I was I grew up in a very religious cult like um, religious community and we didn't learn proper names for body parts. Mm-hmm. And so even having to say it, be on the stand and say the word penis in front of people mm-hmm. was highly traumatizing for me as a middle schooler. Mm-hmm. And um, so after that experience, I was about 15, 16 years old and um, I was singing choir one day. And this guy started coming to our church. He was related to one of my friends. I'd never met him before. Um, But he, I noticed he was watching me in the choir and I thought he was cute. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, I wanted to meet him. Um, He started volunteering as a youth leader in our youth group. And I became really close to him. Um, He approached my mom and talked about how I was awkward around the guys and how he wanted to mentor me. So my mom thought that that was a great idea because I needed a male role model in my life. I desperately missed having my dad in my life. Um, I was anorexic um, to the point where I wanted to be hospitalized because I thought my dad would come back if I was sick enough that he had to. And so I really desired that relationship with him. He was in and out of my life. Um, but very inconsistent. Mm -hmm. Um, and so through that experience uh, and all of the abuse, I was awkward around guys. I didn't really know how to interact with them. And so this guy took me under his wings. Um, I came from a very poor family. We, you know, didn't get name brand clothing or anything even close to it. Mm -hmm. Um, we had, these thrift stores that had 50 cent bins and on Saturday you could go and fill a bag for a dollar. Yeah. So I, that's how I got my clothes and he would take me out to old Navy and buy me something off the rack. Mm -hmm. And I only ever went out to eat on very special occasions and he would take me out to eat all the time. Mm-hmm. So just building, he was very good at grooming and building that relationship. Um, one night he had taken me out for dinner. We went to a pizza place and afterwards he took me to this lookout area. Um, and I was naive enough not to realize that that's where, you know, all the cool kids went to make out, mm-hmm. but it was a beautiful spot and you could see the city lights and, He talked to me about how he was falling in love with me and wanted to date me, but that he was 28 and I was 16 and that as a youth leader in the church, it would probably be frowned upon. So he wanted to, right. (laughs) So he wanted to date me, but I needed to keep it a secret, which I had been holding adult secrets for my entire life. Mm -hmm. I held my mom's secrets, my grandparents' secrets. Like there was no moment in my life where I remember not holding an adult secret. Mm -hmm. And so that was so normal to me. I didn't even think anything of it. Um, Mm -hmm. And that night, you know, he kissed me for the first time. It was the first time I um, 
ever was kissed by somebody that I thought I wanted to kiss me. Right. And, you know, so I looked at that experience as this beautiful first date. Mm -hmm. And over the course of a few months, things started changing where no longer would he take me to the store and let me buy what I wanted. He would insist that I would wear certain items Mm -hmm. and they were always items that would get me in trouble. So Mm -hmm. the church community that I was in was very strict about clothing and what we wore Mm -hmm. and how we looked and presented ourselves, especially as girls. And so he was pushing those boundaries um, and very much setting me up to look like the rebellious teenager. Mm -hmm. And so it became this, this game where I had to wear what he wanted. He would, um, he paid for some of my cell phone bill so that he could have contact with me regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, and he would call me every morning and ask me exactly what I was wearing down to the color of my bra and underwear. Oh, um, wow. you know, and I had to report to him every morning what I was wearing. So over the course of time, it became very abusive. Mm-hmm. Um, he got me to skip school, which was the first time I'd ever done that. Mm-hmm. And, um, took me to a hotel and raped me for the first time. And what was looking back, what was interesting about that was during that experience, it was very much, I'm teaching you how to do this so that you can please men. And I was really confused by his language. Um, You know, he, it was very, um, very much about, I'm going to be doing this for other people around the same time. My dad moved back to the area and I was super excited that he was back in the area. Um, I wanted to build a relationship with my biological dad. And, um, I thought that things were getting a little out of hand with this guy. And I thought if anybody could help me, it would be my dad. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that I introduced him in this guy that, you know, at the time I would have called him my boyfriend, you mm-hmm. know, obviously now in hindsight, looking back, he was one of my pimps. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, I entered, I thought I introduced him to my father. Um, after that first encounter between the two, it became very apparent to me that they knew each other. Um, oh. to the point, Yeah. So when we walked in that day, I thought I was introducing them and my dad immediately said, well, there's the back bedroom. Go, you know, feel free to use it. And so he took me in the back bedroom and raped me again. Um, with my dad having full knowledge of it. Um, and from that point on my life turned upside down, I was, um, being trafficked consistently, And, um, I got to the point where I was completely hopeless to even get out of the situation. I had gotten, um, I started having bruises, obviously in places that were easily covered by clothing. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was being beaten on a regular basis to keep me under control. Mm -hmm. And I really felt like I had no control over my life whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I was at a youth group event and we were 
all in this room. We were supposed to be changing to go do something else. And I thought I was the only one in the room. So I quickly changed. And one of my friends walked out as I was changing and saw the bruising. She grabbed my phone, dialed the first number on the phone. And this youth leader pulled into the parking lot about 20 minutes later. Um, Everybody knew his truck. He and knew who he was. So she figured out something was wrong mm-hmm. and that he was involved. So she told um, the pastors of the church. And what ended up happening is, long story short, um, they ended up bringing us into the same room and asking us what was going on. And he said that I was hot and he was a man and he couldn't resist. And so that we had had sex, but. Um, he was really sorry for it. And because I wouldn't repent for it, um, I was, I ended up being brought up in front of the church with him and he repented and played the card of being repentant and sorry for what he had done. Mm -hmm. And I ended up being kicked out of the church. Um, And a few weeks after I gotten kicked out, I found out I was pregnant. Um, and so I went to the doctors and, um, found out that I was pregnant and all of a sudden the people in the church brought me, wanted to bring me back into the church and people were starting to talk about adopting my baby. Oh, sure. And a few weeks after that, I, had been beaten so bad by my trafficker that I lost the baby. And so once again, I was kicked out of the church um, and accused of having an abortion. And which, you know, obviously I, I didn't. And I was so confused because I had all these bruises and yet nobody would believe what actually had happened. Right. Um, and so at that point I was done with life. Um, I felt like everything about me had been robbed. You know, I was a traditional, really good kid that believed in God. I thought God wanted me to be a missionary one day. Like Mm -hmm. I was doing all the right things. Um, I led backyard Bible clubs and went to all the church things and was a leader in my youth group for a long time. And so when I got kicked out of church, I actually got kicked out of school as well because I went to a Christian school. Um, Mm. And so I also got kicked out of high school. And so there was nothing left in my life that I felt like was good or hopeful. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I tried to commit suicide and um, was thankfully not successful that time. However, my mom had me committed to the hospital for a 24 hour hold. Mm -hmm. Um, but before she had me go, she called my trafficker to come over and talk to me because she thought if anybody could get through to me about not committing suicide, it was him. And so, um, he basically told me all the things to do to make sure I was drugged as as possible before I left the hospital. And he worked it out with my mom that he would pick me up from the hospital and take me to my dad's house. When they picked me up from the, when my pimp picked me up from the hospital, he took me to my dad's house. I arrived there and my dad and my pimp both raped me. 
um, and initiated me into the life, um, into a much higher level of, or higher abusive level, I should say, of trafficking. Um, I was held in a trailer. Um, I don't have, you know, like our memories are sometimes, I don't have the exact timeline of how long I was there. Um, but it was at least a few months that I was there. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was trafficked out of this trailer, um, under the guise of being a good girl and a virgin. And so I wasn't allowed to drink. I wasn't allowed to smoke. I wasn't allowed to do anything to numb the pain that I was having. Um, and I really became just a shell of a person, um, who was being raped over and over and over again. Um, they had a pole in the trailer and I was required to dance on the pole. Um, and there were guys coming and going, buying, um, very often. And so, I had no fight left in me. Um, if you knew me now, most people describe me as a fierce person, mm-hmm. but I had none of that left in me at this point. And until one morning I woke up and for whatever reason, I had some fight left in me mm-hmm. and my trafficker had told me to come outside, which was against the rules. And for the first time in months, I questioned him and was like, well, I can't go outside. And of course that earned me a good smack across the face. And he said, you do what I tell you to do. And so I went outside and he was drinking a beer and smoking a cigarette. And I grabbed the beer and tried to get it up to my mouth thinking if maybe this will help me feel numb so I can survive this. And right as it almost got up to my lips, he smacked it out of my hand. Mm. And Again, some fight rose up in me and I grabbed the cigarette out of his hand and got the cigarette up to almost smoke it. And he smacked that out of my hand and he stuck his finger in my face and said, my good girls don't do that. And I remember thinking, you're good girls. You've taken everything good away from me. I Mm -hmm. am not good anymore. I have nothing good left. Right. And he told me to go back inside Um, that there was another guy coming and he'd be back in a few minutes. My dad was in the back room with another woman. And, um, so I walked back into the trailer and I saw my car keys sitting, um, on the table and my phone, which I hadn't seen since I had gotten there. They had taken those from me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I heard this voice as clear as we're talking right now say, you're my good girl and I love you run now. Wow. And I grabbed my car keys and I ran. Um, I went back to my grandfather who was the only one in my life who was like, something's not right. Like this guy's 28 and she's 16. There's something not right about this scenario. Why is she being punished for something a 28 year old is should be more responsible for. And so, um, I called him and he met me a a friend of his house. Um, I ended up homeschooling myself and finishing out my senior year. Um, I was such an overachiever in high school that I only had a credit and a half, even though technically I was supposed to be a junior Mm -hmm. by state law. I only had a credit and a half left to graduate high school. So 
I graduated high school a year early. Um, one of my friends helped me get into a Bible college because I didn't know that there was anything other than religion mm-hmm. or, you know, that's still what I was in. And so they helped me get into a college. Unfortunately, when I got there, um, there was a lot of religious abuse, a lot of, um, HIPAA violations because they had spread my whole story. And so I was getting calls from guys on campus asking how much I charged. Uh Um, and so it was very, um, again, a traumatic situation. Um, and I met a man there who I ended up marrying, um, and was in a domestic violence, intimate partner violence relationship for about 13 years. Um, So went from a trafficker who was very abusive to a man who was less abusive. And I thought I had freedom um, Mm -hmm. and didn't realize until years of working in anti-trafficking and taking many courses on intimate partner violence, how much violence I was still living in. Yeah. Um, But, um, you know, I was about almost three years ago now, um, I was I divorced him and was able to get away from all of that. Um, And so it's been a journey of finding freedom and thinking that I was free Mm -hmm. and then realizing that there was more freedom that God had for me Um, and a journey of finding my own relationship with God because in every part of my, of my abuse, there was religion held against me. It Mm -hmm. was, um, so many times verses about um, the romantic partner in my life being my kinsman redeemer. You know, if we think back about Boaz and how um, it talks about him being Ruth's kinsman redeemer. Mm -hmm. And those verses were used against me to keep me in relationship and under control with men who were abusing me. Um, there was so many verses about um, just that you're a woman and you need to be under the leadership of a man. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all of those controlling things that a tradition, a lot of traditional religious churches still think and teach today. Um, so it's been a journey of finding God. Um, he has walked with me since I was three years old. Um, he used to meet me out in the woods and him and I would sit and talk and he would tell me all the time, this is not what I have for you. Um, what they're telling you about me isn't true. Mm -hmm. And so I've always had a special relationship with him, but I've had to learn how to, um, how to find that relationship again as an adult Mm -hmm. and not be guided by all of the cult-like beliefs and religious beliefs that I was taught growing up. Right. Right. So yeah, there's so many more stories or pieces to my lived experience we could talk about, but um, that's kind of the summary version of my story. Sure. Well, I do appreciate you so much sharing. And I know that um, it is very crazy how much our stories are similar. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. Um, 
which I'm, I'm sure that that happens with um, people with lived experience similarly, but um, you know, we're so amazed at the, the work that you've done since then. And, you know, your, your fighting trafficking and things like that. How did you actually end up then um, as an advocate? Yeah. So that's kind of a crazy story. Um, I really wanted to run a 5k Mm -hmm. and, um, I volunteered for an anti-trafficking organization to run a 5k that a friend knew about and went up and talked to the director afterwards and said, you know, I, um, had this weird thing happen to me as a teenager and I think I could identify with some of the victim survivors that you're working with, um, I'd like to volunteer with you. And so I went in, she said, let's sit down and talk. And I went in and shared my story with her. And at the time I didn't know that the thing that had happened to me as a teenager had a name Mm -hmm. that that actually was human trafficking. And so she told me to read roadmap to redemption by Rebecca Bender. Uh And so I started reading that book and realized that what happened did actually have a name. And so I went back and did a bunch of therapy while still volunteering with that organization and another anti-trafficking organization in my area. Um, and a few months later, she they had a job opening for an advocate. And she approached me and said, hey, we'd really like you to apply for this job. And I thought she was just being nice. Right. Um, uh-huh. I was like, there's no way I'm going to get this job. I have no qualifications. I have no idea what I'm doing. And... Sure enough, I applied for the job and she, um, I remember so clearly at that interview when she's offered me the job, um, because it had always been my dream when I said as a kid, I want it to be a missionary. I want it to be like Amy Carmichael. And she was a lady who would go into the temples in India mm-hmm. and rescue the teens being sold into temple prostitution. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They gave me chills. Oh, yeah. And so it was like God was affirming that dream in me mm-hmm. that I got to, I was getting to do that. And so I started out um, being an advocate, leading outreach. I've done everything from porn outreach, strip club outreach, um, online outreach, street outreach. Um, I've ran all kinds of different types of outreaches. Um, been an advocate for seven years and then over the course of time, um, moved through some different organizations and different, um, models of advocacy and really, um, had it laid on my heart to, uh, create a training that's specific for human trafficking advocates. Mm -hmm. There's advocacy training for domestic violence and sexual assault. But when it comes to a human trafficking training, that's actually applicable to how to work with survivors of human trafficking. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't find a good one. Yeah. yeah. And so it was just laid on my heart to create one. And so I've created a 40 hour certification for human trafficking advocates um, and have begun consult, um, a consulting business where I consult with different agencies on their processes and protocols when it comes to their direct service, mm-hmm. um, and providing services to survivors. Um, and then this year, um, 
the door was opened for me to join with a wonderful woman, um, Kathy Bryan, who is just an amazing survivor leader. Mm -hmm. And um, we together were able to, um, under her leadership, start the Genesis Project in Arkansas to provide services to survivors, as well as provide services to agencies who want to come alongside survivors and help them, realizing that there's a lot of people out there who want to help. And they have really great intentions, but they don't have the lived experience and they don't have um, the training necessarily. And so our agency is able to provide that training for them. Right. So good. That really is good. Cause I know um, I've been somebody who's worked in um, a lot of homeless shelter situations recently worked with homeless shelters and um, having people that are trauma informed in order to be able to identify somebody who has um, lived experience of trafficking versus intimate partner violence versus, you know, they're struggling with just being homeless versus different addictions. It, it really is a different skill set. Yes. Right. Yeah. Set, yeah. <laughs> That's good. Uh, let people know where they can find that. Uh, yeah, so the Gen- if you're looking for the Genesis Project, um, you can find all of our trainings through there. Um, it's www.thegenesisproject.life is our website. Um, if you're interested in the consulting side, um, that is Pulley Consult- Pulley-Consulting on Facebook. Um, or you can always reach out to me at Amanda at Pulley dash consulting.com. Wonderful. So connecting, I mean, they're welcome to follow, um, pulley consulting on Facebook. Um, we are working on getting that website up as well. So, you know, you can watch Facebook and stay tuned for that. And then, um, following the Genesis project. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn at Amanda pulley. Um, so, However they want to connect, um, if it's something that they have questions about, they're always welcome to email me at amanda at pulley-consulting.com. Wonderful. All right. Well, thank you so much. And um, we're so glad you're here. And Yeah, you too. Thanks, ladies. <laughs> thank you, Amanda. Yeah, absolutely. Have a great day. <laughs> Bring Freedom's live anti-trafficking inspiration event is coming up on November 18th and 19th. Sign up for the All for One Challenge today. You don't want to miss this. Join us for the 10th annual Dressember Style Challenge. Advocacy is better together, and we would love to have you on Team Bring Freedom. Wear a dress or tie every day during the month of December to raise awareness and funds to end human trafficking. Check the description box for more information. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoy hearing stories of persons with lived experience, please rate and review wherever you're listening to this podcast.